Welcome back to Pace Immigration, paceimmigration.com, talking once again with immigration lawyer Michael O'Rourke. Michael, good to see you. Hi, Sean. How's it going? Going very well. Thank you very much. Uh, let's dive, in, dive right in with our nine reasons you may be inadmissible to Canada. I know we've been talking off camera and how you've said you get a lot of email and phone calls about inadmissibility issues, and they fall somewhere in this menu here. We're going to go into the, each of them in some detail, starting with security risk, all the way down to if you have a family member who's not allowed into Canada, that could pose some problems. So let's start with number one on your list, security risk. Talk about that. Hi, Sean. So security risk, this is kind of an amorphous, if you have flagged on some sort of security or police database somewhere, maybe you haven't necessarily been convicted of a crime, but maybe you're a person of interest or um, uh, for more national security type of issues, you have been involved with organizations that are under suspicion. So a security risk can be broad. If a person is turned back at the border because they are security risk, we will almost never find out exactly what the risk is because uh, governments hold on to this information very tightly. So this could be something as big as like say state espionage and stuff like that. Yes. Okay. Working in labs and things could trigger something like that. Uh, it could. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately we never really know the exact contours. And for our clients who have been determined to be security risks, uh, sometimes it's a spouse uh, who is oh. the security risk and sometimes it's the person themselves. But we really don't know unless the client tells us we're almost never able to get the exact basis of the risk and, and the exact information on it from the government. Very cloak and dagger. Very interesting. Uh, number two, human or international rights violations could have you inadmissible to Canada. Yes, exactly. And uh, so this is more for people who have participated in different conflicts or um, uh, whether uh, declared or not. Say, for instance, uh, somebody who was uh, participating actively in Rwandan genocide or in Colombian paramilitary groups. Uh, this is quite broad and quite fact specific. But again, if information surfaces connecting the person to one of these activities or even the suspicion of being involved in human rights violations, uh, they could be deemed inadmissible to Canada. All right, number three, convicted of a crime or, and this one's interesting to me, have committed an act outside Canada that would have been a crime in Canada. Exactly. And uh, you don't have to necessarily be convicted if this happened outside of Canada. If you were arrested, uh, if you were charged, but say the charges were dropped, uh, it is very wide uh, in interpretation. And we could spend hours talking about criminal inadmissibility because it, uh, again, super highly fact specific, but if you are involved in any sort of uh, criminal activity, convicted or not, or activity that might be a crime in Canada, you're going to have issues coming over the border 
Um, a couple of my favorite examples, uh, I had a client years ago who, uh, as a stupid 18-year-old, uh, had, with some friends, taken a bat and knocked down a bunch of mailboxes in rural Alaska. Well, uh, he was uh, rounded up by the local sheriff, and there was an FBI report made for destruction of federal property. This is like 50 years ago. 50 so, years. Holy 50 years. Uh, and he had been coming back and forth to Canada, had a Canadian wife. And all of a sudden, some databases got knitted together. And this charge for, or at least mention of destruction of federal property uh, showed up on his FBI report. And Canada and the U.S. have a very broad sharing of information. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So uh, he showed up at the border, said that I'm coming up to see my wife. He said, oh, no, there's this very serious crime of destruction of federal property. You cannot come in, sir. Wow. And, so I guess word to the wise is to kind of, if somebody has something in their past that they might be wanting to hide from others, they should call you and talk to you about it before they find out at the border that it could get them in some trouble. Exactly. It's much better to talk to me uh, and my team here than figuring it out the hard way. Uh, okay. And a lot of people, they find out or they, they might have written it off because it happened years and years ago sure. and they don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, I've heard about people with a, like a DUI from when they were 20 years old. Now they're 50. They're coming up on a fishing trip or something like this. And they say, hey, turn around. You've got this uh, drunk driving conviction because, as you've explained to me before, Canada looks at uh, drunk driving convictions much more seriously, at least the first time, than the United States. Exactly. Okay. Uh, number four, ties to organized crime. This kind of ties in with the, the earlier ones with the security risk and stuff, but maybe a little more specific to criminality. Yes. So you don't necessarily have to have been convicted of racketeering, which is the charge in the U.S. Uh, but if, again, there is information in either political or, or national security or police databases tying you to organized crime, then it is very possible, whether it's true or not, honestly, or whether it's ever been proven in a court of law, this can be a basis uh, to uh, deny you entry to Canada. It's very much like the security uh, exception to allowing people to enter. Uh, the Canadian government feels that if a person has ties to organized crime, that they are prone to perhaps uh, furthering that criminal enterprise when they come to Canada. Yeah, it reminds me a bit about the sports teams. They don't, you know, the leagues don't like their players hanging out with known uh, crime figures because it opens them up to maybe bribery or throwing games and things like that. So same kind of idea, I think here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, number five, Syria. This might surprise people somewhat. Canada is known as a welcoming place. It's uh, famous for its universal health care. But number five, serious health problems can have you inadmissible. Yes. And this we see very often. Uh, so uh, if you're coming as a tourist, this isn't really going to apply to you unless you have something that is an actively communicable disease like active tuberculosis or a COVID infection, for instance. So that's the tourist side of things. But where we see this more is in the context for permanent residents. If you're coming as anybody other than a spouse, say you're coming as an economic immigrant, uh, you have to ensure that your medical conditions, whatever they might be, 
aren't serious enough that they would place a burden on the Canadian healthcare system. And what's considered a burden is actually a fairly low dollar amount uh, between five and six thousand dollars. Really? Wow. Yes. So that, that's a pretty small window, isn't it? Yes. So uh, what happens in this case, and, and we can discuss this more at another time, but uh, for an applicant for permanent residence, if the medical exam uncovers some health problem that is considered serious and potentially burdensome, uh, the uh, Immigration Ministry, IRCC, will issue what's known as a fairness, fairness letter, excuse me, and they will uh, say you might be potentially inadmissible to Canada and prove to us that you're not. And wow. usually with these fairness letters come very expensive courses of treatment. And uh, there are ways that we can rebut this, but it's something you shouldn't do on your own. Okay. Uh, number six, serious financial problems. So uh, what, heavy debt, bankruptcy, that kind of thing? It's more bankruptcy. And again, this isn't going to usually apply to somebody just coming up for the fishing trip over the weekend. This is going to be more in the context of a permanent residence application. You have to declare on your application forms whether you've ever resorted to bankruptcy protection uh, or insolvency or restructuring, depending on what it's called in your country. But uh, anything that wipes away debt or restructures your um, uh, your debt and it's done through a government or a court process could trigger a more serious review, an in-depth review of your financial history. Okay. Number seven, lie, and this is a big one. I know you talk about this a lot. Uh, number seven, lied in an application or on an interview or in an interview, and that comes under the umbrella of misrepresentation. Yes. So uh, we see misrepresentation a lot. Sometimes it's an active untruth. It's like, I'm going to lie to the border officer to get X or to do X. Um, uh, sometimes it's innocent uh, where somebody says, I'm going to the airport, but actually they're going to see their girlfriend. Uh, so uh, misrepresentation, of course, is scalable. scalable. And uh, if the misrepresentation is considered material, that means it is used to further your chances to get a benefit under immigration law, then um, uh, that can be used as a basis either to deny you entry into the country the next time or remove you from the country uh, if that has been part of your immigration record. It, it's very serious. And uh, because misrepresentation goes to uh, malice, if you'll say, something uh, with a bad intention, um, especially when there is active intentional misrepresentation, that will follow you. Yeah, they, they keep a track of this. Like that could be like what we were talking about with the DUI, you know, 10, 15 years later, if you misrepresented yourself, it's on that computer screen forever, isn't it? Yes, it is. And they're not likely to believe you the next time. Right. Okay. Number eight, you do not, and this is kind of a big general one, we can throw everything under this umbrella, but you do not meet the conditions in Canada's immigration law. Yes, this is a huge catch-all it can almost be anything. Uh, for instance, 
if you're from a country where you need a visa to enter Canada and you show up at the border and you don't have a visa, you're not meeting the conditions of Canada's immigration law. Right. Uh, it, it is, again, so wide, but uh, it is a general thing that you're going to hear at the border if for some reason you don't qualify. Either you don't qualify to come in under the visa type that you have or you need more documentation or if they don't really specify any other grounds this will be the catch-all that they say that you just don't meet the conditions right i've had friends before and colleagues say should i or can i and i'm like look it's worth a consultation if you're not sure about the paperwork and stuff you should get a consultation and find out before you get to the border Yes, you can sit in my office for half an hour or you can sit at the border for six hours while they figure it out. <laughs> right, money well spent. Uh, number nine, this is kind of a sins of the father vibe to it, but you have a family member who is not allowed into Canada and that makes you inadmissible. Explain that. Yeah, so if you have, again, this is generally in the uh, permanent residence context, although this can happen at the border too. Uh, say you have a family unit, mother and father and two kids, uh, and one of the kids has a very expensive medical condition, or uh, say the other kid has an active tuberculosis uh, infection. So uh, they are going to look at the family as a whole and say, well, because child one has this medical condition or child two is actively infectious and uh, poses a public health risk to Canada, uh, we are not letting the family come in as a group. Uh, it, it happens from time to time. Unfortunately, every member of the family must be admissible in order for the family to come into Canada. And by coming to Canada, that's, we're talking like the immigration part, or is it also tourism or... Yes, this is usually the immigration part, but uh, this can happen at the port of entry when, say, you might have somebody in the uh, family car who has a DUI. They're not generally going to let everybody else in the car over and, and leave you stranded at the border. Uh, so uh, it, it happens more in the permanent residence context, but you, you can see it at Excellent. border applications. Okay, those are our nine reasons that you might find yourself inadmissible to Canada. As we said, it's probably worth the consultation. If you if something in those nine points is triggering something in your past or some thoughts that you might apply to, or those some of those might apply to you, I think contacting you, Michael, might be the way to go. Yes, definitely. It's uh, inadmissibility is tricky and it's broad. So it's it's always good to talk with us before actually making the trip uh, because it can lead to many other issues down the road. Okay. Michael O'Rourke, that's M-O'Rourke at PaceLawFirm.com. Thanks, Michael. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much, Sean. Take care.